0: But I remember just being taught, like, early on, right, just listen out for the fundamental. What's the fundamental difference? Is it square? Is it saw? Is it triangle? And then from there, you can build anything, you know. But I remember going and spending, like, three hours trying to build a brass sound or something and then realising that I'd start with the wrong fundamental. I was like, this is so frustrating. I got so close. Uh, I needed to start all the way again on a saw wave rather than a triangle wave. I was like... You know, those those lessons, I'll never make that mistake again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of it's trial and error, and I probably could have done it a lot faster had I had YouTube.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Keys Coach podcast. My name's Adam, and if you're a piano, keys, or synth player, then you are in the right place. This is the podcast where I sit down and chat with top keys players from all over the world, and today is no exception. Today we're chatting with the amazing... Phil Merriman. Phil is an incredible player, he spans many genres, he's equally at home playing classical music, as well as jazz, he's massively into gospel music and he has a big love for synths and synth bass. I've known Phil for around 10 years and we've worked together on various projects, so it was so good to chat with him about his journey in music so far. In this conversation, we talk about so many different aspects of Phil's playing right the way through from why music education and music hubs are so important when you're starting out making music. We chat about what Phil learned from his lessons with the incredible jazz pianist John Taylor. We discuss all things sound production and why the tone you create on the piano is so important and often overlooked. And we also chat about how Phil developed a huge love for gospel music and how he got those influences into his playing after you finish listening do go and check out all phil's music the links to which you can find in the episode description If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget you can go and follow us over on Instagram at thekeyscoach and I'm also doing an open call. Who would you like to hear on the podcast? Is there a particular piano, keys or synth player and you'd love to hear about their journey? Do get in touch with guest suggestions. I want this podcast to be all about the community. So I want to know who you would like to be featured in these episodes. You can email me adam at thekeyscoach.com. Please do get in touch. Okay, let's dive into it. Here is the conversation I had with the amazing Phil Merriman. thanks phil for coming on the podcast today um for anyone listening we're recording this super early well it's super early for me i don't think it's i don't think it's super early for phil is this is this about the normal sort of time you're up phil ready ready to go is, with, yeah, with child care and stuff
0: yeah yeah we're normally woken up around about six or between the hours of six and seven so yeah i've got my peppermint tea ready I'm all prepped, ready to go. ready to rock. (laughs) That's cool. Whereabouts are you today? So uh, we live in Wallington, so just a little town outside of Croydon, between Croydon and Wimbledon. Yeah, man, yeah, we moved in um, in those dark months and kind of uh, did up the place that we're in now, so... Yeah, turned my hand to a lot of practical stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with the
1: absence of gigs. No, it's all good. Um, I know everyone's listening to this podcast rather than watching it, but Phil's got a lovely piano in the back of his uh, shot. Is that like your music room that you, you practice? And have you got yeah. like a setup at home where you work?
0: I So there's the piano in the living room, um, which is uh, really intentional that it's part of the family thing rather than being a separate. Right, Um But say if I'm recording stuff, then I'll set up separately. But no, I I don't have the luxury at this point in time of a separate kind of setup, permanent setup. At some point, that would be lovely. Making making
1: plans very slowly, but yeah, and I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. So yeah, I thought it'd be cool to to have a kind of trek through your your journey. of, of how you got into the piano in the first place and um because I, I know you you grew up in South London right you grew, yep. grew up in Merton yeah um so for everyone listening to the podcast I've I've done a lot of work with Phil and we've also done a lot of work together as part of Merton Music Foundation big shout out to them yep. who I know you did a huge amount of stuff with when you were growing up and that was really pivotal in your kind of development
0: absolutely man I even met my wife there it's like oh, okay. quite life changing events have happened in that place <laughs> yeah 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 um my brother is 8 years older than me and he also went through so as a kid um i was there you know only a couple of years old going to every concert that was possible i think you're kind of just growing up in that uh in that environment going to concerts really young that being the norm that, right. that really helped I think you know my brother as well, John. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, just those those local authority or however they're run, you know, hubs, music hubs are so important, I think, for just oh, creating a lifestyle of mm. normalizing music rather than it being like these big peaks. Like, oh, suddenly I'm working towards a grade once a year. You know, there's just this yeah. like weekly or a couple of times a week checking in with other musicians. Oh, just yeah, I can't, can't say enough how much they were. Yeah, pivotal.
1: I mean, yeah, if anyone's listening to this who isn't aware, there's this thing called music hubs, which exist all around the UK. Each kind of borough of London and each county in the UK will have its own music hub, and the music hub does, like, ensembles and an orchestra. People can learn instrumental lessons through there. It's just an amazing, amazing resource, and I think, yeah. I mean, I didn't actually have that growing up, weirdly.
0: What was yours? What was your...?
1: I mean, I had... I did do this jazz... There was, like, a jazz big band thing that I... Um, that like I went to which is' at like this school that used to be just up in like the north of the city where I grew up in Portsmouth and it was good I never I never made it into the main band
0: though
1: that oh, <laughs> was, I was I was spent my whole life in the training band yeah you know <laughs> and it's like when there's just someone who's just done the main band for ages and they just don't move on you know and was um, that because I, there was a
0: great city like were there some guys that were really great and kind of yeah they were I mean they
1: were they were it wasn't quite the same setup as like merton and all those things where, where it's it's like a very much family kind of thing and everyone gets involved in everything this was just like a big band thing that happened on one night and right. there wasn't much that happened outside of that there weren't any gigs or anything like that yeah. um so yeah i mean i i just think i think it's really cool that that's that's a, a part of you know some some children's development i think it's mm. i think it's amazing and there's amazing social aspect to it right when you're mm. kind of growing up 15 16
0: oh massive massively you know those wednesday nights just uh, meet, meeting the same people every week or fortnight um yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I don't think we knew how to socialise, really, so it was kind of just all done around the music. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, And tours and all that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Going on tour,
1: that's <laughs> that's really important. So how did you actually get into the piano in the first place? Because obviously, to join one of those bands, you need to have skills on an instrument and be able to do certain things. So how did, how did that all come about, the actual learning of the piano?
0: So actual piano stuff, I started classic, did the classical route from about seven, which I'm told by some people was quite late. Um, right. And some people say it's early, but... Yeah, seven. And Sounds pretty early. <laughs> yeah, I think my wife was five yeah. when she started. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> hot house, yeah. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um But no, I was, um, yeah, kind of just the classical route. And then it wasn't until I was in secondary school. Actually, I remember my teacher saying, stop making stuff up. Right. Um, you know, in lessons, I you know, stopped improvising. And I was kind of composing probably from about, Oh, I saypose that like right writing down little tunes in really like long antiquated mm. ways, <laughs> you yeah, know, not using notation at all um, from about ten or eleven, and then I had this amazing music teacher in secondary school who had who really got us into jazz right, and he was yeah, he just. He was an absolutely amazing guy, actually. Very inspiring. Would drive us to gigs most weekends. So from about the age of 14, I was doing gigs. Um, I was at the, at the same school, actually, as Duncan Eagles. If you know Duncan Sack. Oh, yeah, I know Duncan. Yeah. And Max Luther bass player okay. as well. Right. Um, and there, yeah, a couple of us there that were all, all playing. Jake Jake Walker as well, who's a yeah. fantastic drummer. And it's quite a small school, but we were all kind of just really in this together, most weekends gigging. And it was all down to that music teacher, and... Um, Who instead, I don't know, he may may have been meant to have been teaching us other stuff, but I remember him (laughs) sitting us down and just saying, listen to this. And he had Beyond the Sound Barrier, you know, the Wayne Shorter Quartet. Yeah. Um, I was just like, guys, we're going to listen to this this (laughs) this morning. And that was our lesson. Just listening to that album. And I remember him saying, oh, you should listen you should learn this um, this tune. There's a great recording by Miles and one by Herbie called The Sorcerer, you know. And um, it was just really like my brain couldn't compute what I was listening to or, right, or listen or playing. But yeah, I just had this amazing figure who was just like, try this out, listen to this, listen to this and put the time aside, you know. Yeah, putting it putting a lesson aside whether or not that was a good idea. <laughs> no.
1: It's amazing how so many people I've done quite a lot of these interviews now and it's amazing how so many people say there was like one teacher that just totally ignited the mm. passion. It's pretty really funny though some people say like you said earlier uh, stop making it up. Because <laughs> mm. that's kind of a that's a really weird uh thing to say given what you do now. I know because <laughs> <You just> essentially <laughs> make it all up, you know. Yeah, so funny, um isn't it? Yeah, I kind of think it's, if if anything, making up is sometimes more important. Developing the making up skill, the improvising, the kind of, um, you know, creating skill is actually maybe of a more important muscle yeah. to exercise, particularly going into anything creative.
0: Right. Uh, so I was just playing for this piano festival thing a friend put uh, put together and I was the only, oh, yeah, I uh, only jazz musician on it. And right. everyone else was classical. And we had these conversations every night with the the other musicians. We were saying how... Improvisation is so integral to the compositional process. All the music all the all the people that we play. If you're a classical musician, all, all those all those composers were improvisers, of course, because that's mm. the nature of of the beast of like making music, isn't it? And so, how does the system not have room for that? If yeah. even if there's just a small bit um, of the ABRSM syllabus that was, you know, a five minute little improvisation with a little bit of pre prepared stuff. Perhaps mm. you know just just to just to normalise it and just say like this is this is part of the the thing, yeah. rather than this is a separate thing. And then you, oh, there's so many classical musicians that are terrified of it. You're like mm. how? Like you're playing stuff that was composed through the form of improvisation. You're, yeah, you're living in this stuff sometimes for decades. And I don't I don't know I don't know Amazing. why they're scared. I mean, there's a whole other podcast series on yeah. <laughs> the psychology of <laughs> improvisation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's kind it's kind of
1: um. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. So after studying at school uh, and doing all those gigs,
0: you then went on to study at York. I did, and um, it was a great scene. It was, it was, um, it was a bit of an accident, really, because I wanted to. It was the only course that I could find. I wasn't going because of the people there. It was the only course that I could find that both mixed classical and jazz. And um, from term one of the first year, you chose kind of modular session so I, I think the first term was well the second term was something like Stravinsky yeah. and you're doing that with first second and third years all at the same time um, and then the next one was um, jazz arrangement so for an entire term you just go in deep on one thing and then the next term was like the music of Bartok uh-huh. um, and I absolutely loved that and I, I just I remember thinking I'm classically trained I'm doing the classical thing I'm doing loads of gigs for jazz so i'm like 95% jazz 5% classical um at the time anyway and uh i just couldn't find a course that would suit both and that was the yeah. only one that that did i was like oh, this is, i think this is the place for me they they seem to enable both things to happen or all things i should say rather than both because it's not really this divide is it it's oh, like yes, yeah. all things to happen at the same time and then by incredible incredible luck or whatever you call it uh, blessing um John Taylor happened to be teaching there at the same time yeah, um, that amazing, I was there as pianist. And yeah. Yeah. So absolute, absolute legend. So who many of us have just grown to love, become so fond of his playing, but also his teaching style. Um, and I was learning classical alongside that as well. So yeah, I, I absolutely loved my time there. I really felt like I could put down strong roots in the kind of technical side of things. And also I wanted to, pursue the classical route harmonically because i know that it gives so much uh there's so much depth there so i yeah. I, want, I wanted to go into like the music of bartok and bc and messian those kind of composers so that mm. it would influence my jazz playing um or improvised music playing so yeah absolutely loved it and met some amazing musicians who i'm still playing with now
1: when you were because I, I i didn't realize that actually that you the whole classical piano thing was such a big thing for you. Um, I I don't think I I quite realised that. So, I mean, even now, and I guess back then, when you sit down at the piano and you're going to play uh, a piece of classical music, and then you sit down at the piano and you're going to improvise something in whatever style, do you... Do you think of them as like two different things? Do you have like a different kind of mind space that you go to because obviously one is essentially in some ways reproducing a piece of music that ex- that already exists and the other one is creating something completely new. Is it does it feel like the same thing or is it very much separated?
0: That's really good. Um I think for me classical music is the process for me so I don't I don't actually perform much classical music at all now. So no. I don't really sit down and think right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's normal okay. it's normally like okay, what have you got for me? You know, I'll open yeah. up a piece of music and be like, okay, I'm just going to spend a bit of time. Oh, it's not going to be perfect. I'm just going to learn from this thing. Um, I, but I do, you know, I remember that, that process of, of feeling like, okay, I've got to, I've just got to deploy what I've learned for the previous five months. And that was incredibly nerve wracking. I don't think I've ever been so nervous as playing classical music. Whereas suddenly jazz, you've got much more control. You've got the power over what you play. I think I felt a lot more comfortable doing that stuff live, you know, in in kind of concert settings. So, yeah, I I have much admiration for people that can sit down and just deploy a piece. Yeah, I know. Me too. (laughs) It's incredible. From memory
1: as well. Yeah. Just like, yeah, it's a very, it's such a, such an amazing thing. I never, I I did do the whole classical piano thing. But the reason why I kind of asked that question was because it just went to such a different space in my head. Right. and in my mind right. and in my ear and the, the only way I can really explain it is when I was playing classical music I was playing with my eyes mm. Mm. <laughs> I was like read it you know it was mm. it was going to a completely different part of my brain and when I was improvising it was I was listening to the sound and I was thinking about it musically and all these different kind of things I never quite managed to make that
0: That's really make interesting. that divide really um, interesting. I think the trick is uh, you mentioned playing by ear uh, sorry by playing by heart and I think that is a great way because like, I was Randomly, I've just been sorting out some old... Remember data CDs and DVDs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found, I found a DVD of my final recital. Okay. And um, I'd done... Um, I was playing some Bartok on that that I'd memorised. And some Beg, a, um a piece by Beg. Played the Beg with the music. And then the Bartok, which was memorised, I was like, I was so much... I was so much more in that music than I was in the one that I was reading. Oh. Um and I don't, I've not learned that much classical music off by heart. But yeah, yeah, I think it is that that kind of just completely consuming the thing. Yeah, um, understanding it, getting it into the ears rather and into the heart rather than just the mm. eyes,
1: isn't it? Yeah, um, totally. So it's a it's a tricky thing to manage that. You know, that's what that's what
0: I found anyway. Yeah. Um, so after yeah. after uni, you moved back to London. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, moved to, again, south to a little town of Morden, the beginning of the Northern Line. And what sort,
1: of, what sort of gigs were you doing? Presumably you were starting to work as a musician. What sort of things were you, how did you manage that transition from kind of studying into actually working in the industry like you do now?
0: I think it was, in some ways, a little bit similar to what I'm doing now. It's, right. And just a real mixture of things, like uh, uh, some original stuff, some trying to do my own thing, playing on other people's stuff, Doing some teaching alongside, yeah, just a real, real mixture of things, um, yeah. and that, that's what I love about about the whole thing is that it's as a career, it kind of has moved on, and the people I'm playing with have some have changed, some have, have remained, and it's like this gradual unfurling rather than like a linear thing, right? You know, okay. it's not like one day I'll be here. <laughs> but it's like oh, actually. I'm here now and I'm still playing with the same people I was playing with 17 years ago. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that's like, yeah. get to play with these same musicians. And there's such a depth of the friendship which is in it. So like my, my new trio with um, Simon Roth, drummer, and John Williamson on bass. I've known Simon since I was at York. And like, there are so many unspoken conversations because it's, you know, it just happens. We've, we've played together for so many years. Mm. Um, and I, re- I actually remember coming out of uni and wanting that process to accelerate and right. trying to make it happen through rehearsals. Um, and I tried to put a band together. And I was like, "This needs to feel like we've played together for ten years." <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and it just didn't happen. I actually ended up stopping the project because I was so upset. I was like, "It doesn't sound like we've played together for ten years." And like now, I'm at seventeen years after uni. I'm like, "Ah, oh, only time can make that happen." Yeah. And yeah, I wish yeah. that I'd told myself, like, just be patient. um Um, i think out of uni you see a lot of people doing some amazing things because of course people post the amazing stuff that they do and you're like yeah well i should be doing that too i should be albums every year and every two years or doing all these great projects like she just give it time and I, i i'm kind of jumping around a bit but um speaking with john taylor um, when we were at York remember he just gave so much time out of the lessons so we'd go for yeah. lunch and, and things between lectures and he said that he was a civil servant for seven years before playing like before actually being like fully pro and I remember thinking that that's just amazing like I love that someone as great as him was was able to just do a job for a bit and then of course. move on and, um, and even like albums under his own names they they came out much later um like the projects that he was driving rather than being a sideman on so yeah that patience thing um I, I wish I would known that sooner I mean
1: you mentioned you mentioned rehearsing as well and obviously you've got your new trio now so I guess when you're younger and you're at uni or you're just out of uni you, you have a bit more time to kind of <laughs> yeah. put aside half day rehearsals or full day rehearsals full week rehearsals how do you manage that If you've got a gig, say, with a trio, what does Mm. that rehearsal process look like for you? Is it all new music? Is it stuff you've played before?
0: So at the moment, it's all new because I've been writing for it. Um, It's only a year. It's basically a year from the very beginning of the project. So, yeah, I mean, the guys are amazing. They've put um, aside an amazing amount of time to learn the thing. But I I also recognise that it needs to come from me. So if I've spent the time on my own, then it sets the expectation of where I want the music to be. Yeah. Um, so for the first gig, I just told myself, I'm going to learn this material by heart. Um, and that sets the expectation. Not that they have to learn it by heart, of course, but the, like, this is where I want to be with the stuff. I want to be completely like eyes off and just so much more at home with the music. If I'm going to be more at home with it, I can direct it better. The rehearsals are going to be better. So yeah, recognising that, that process, If it, if I can lead that, then I think we've saved a bit of time by me doing that. But also, yeah, um, they've just been great at in the rehearsals, rehearsing well. And I, again, that's stuff that you can't really rush. I remember being told, like, learning how to rehearse properly. Wouldn't it be great if music courses had like a whole term on how to rehearse properly? I don't know yeah. if anyone does that. <laughs> it's always like yeah. uh, individuals that have inspired me to learn. How what do you to think does make a really good rehearsal? Time constraints often. Right, yeah, the longer you've, the longer you've got, the, the more time you'll just, oh, yes, just run it one more time, you know. if you've only got half an hour, like right what really needs shedding and we're not gonna have the glory play or I'll just do like three choruses just to check that I remember how to play over this tune. like <laughs> that yeah. should be done at, at home, I think like proper rehearsal process is a really really important tool, I think for any musician and turning up to to the thing prepared. Um, and also as like a band leader, knowing what stuff you want to rehearse, so which corners. So I record everything that we do and I analyse right. it, write notes after every gig and then take that to the next rehearsal. Like, these were the corners. The other stuff I was really happy with um, and we just work on those aspects.
1: Oh, wow. That's really, I, okay, that's amazing. So you actually record the gig, write notes and then give feedback to the band. That's actually no, a good way of doing uh, it.
0: Feedback, yeah. I mean, But it's much more like uh it's not like here's your a4 printed sheet of-, <laughs> of notes. that would be funny to do one time though right <laughs> yeah it's normally for me actually to be honest but yeah. it's like how can we make this work as a trio how can we make this yeah uh, it's normally like phrasing stuff um i mean of the last gig um my notes were much more like this is the title of the tune how can we make it reflect the title more um, so like what's the overall arc what we're we trying to say in the whole tune rather than just like a uh, rhythmic placement stuff practice we got wow. trying to trying to assume that that stuff's done before you get to the rehearsal obviously there's always stuff that needs fixing, but um yeah, oh man, that's amazing that's such a good such a good idea.
1: I should do that more that's great i mean I just love the idea of listening back I think sometimes as well i I sort of shy away from listening back to myself. I kind of think oh I just want to remember the gig as a really nice thing rather <laughs> yeah. than listening back to it and thinking. Oh God! I should have done that, and all oh, that didn't yeah. work. And oh, I know this bit's uh, coming up that I didn't do properly. Absolutely. Um, but that's a really good idea. I think I think that like self-evaluation stuff is yeah. so so important if you want and to. the progress.
0: more you do it, the more normal it becomes. I think uh, you know the great divide happens, doesn't it? When you listen back, the great stuff becomes really great, and then this yeah. <laughs> the bad stuff goes down, and there's nothing left in the middle rather Absolutely. than like you say that like, hazy memory of middleness Middle, middleness <laughs> which is just all broadly fine yeah yeah, yeah. um That's but i think cool. the more you do it the more like you know, it's it's just normal like I, I mean i'll try and leave a day or two if i can help it but i can't wait to listen back because i'm just like oh i remember where we went with this and um i remember this solo that they played i just want to hear it and mm. yeah I suppose that's one good thing of social media, isn't it? It kind of drives us to to listen and record and all those things much more than we ever used to. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, absolutely. And I guess you have then have an outlet for it as well. To, even if it's just an idea or something, yeah. you can then put it out there it's yeah, fantastic. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're obviously doing lots of playing with your trio, but I know you do, a, like you mentioned it earlier, you do a huge amount of work solo piano. Mm. And that is just... Uh, such a hugely different thing from playing with a band in terms of you having to cover everything so how do you approach playing solo what's your kind of thoughts behind it because i don't know if anyone's um i'm going to put a link to this in the episode description to phil's instagram but your instagram is just full of these beautiful kind of ideas and little arrangements of tunes and i was just i've just been watching them through a load of them over the past few days and i think one of the things that like just shines through is that you you arrange a lot of the the songs you play, and you you rather than just playing them and kind of going through the chords and going through the changes and all that kind of stuff, there feel, it feels like you've really thought about the arrangement and putting in lots of interesting corners that give it its identity. And I think that's that's really cool.
0: That's really kind. Thanks, man. Um, I've, yeah, I yeah, I, it's just the sound that I want to hear, isn't it? Like when you're playing solo, you can do whatever you like, and I suppose I just end up yeah. playing the sounds that my brain is wanting to hear. And the more I play solo, the more I I try and connect that together. And the same with teachings, connecting what's in the brain to what's coming out of the fingers. Um, I love playing solo. Um, I like playing solo in balance with other stuff. I think if I only played solo, I'd find it quite exhausting. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, you're fully responsible for all the ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I love it as a break from band stuff. Um, cause yeah, you can go anywhere, explore lots of places. Again, like the, the John Taylor lessons really helped me with that because he, he would play his own tunes differently every time. And I remember taking a tune of his, I think it was in Cologne and he was like, so how are you going to do an, in, how are you going to do an intro on this tune? And I was like, well, I've got your recording. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what else could there be? And then I remember him just say, like talking about infinite possibilities of introing a tune like taking one melodic structure or one harmonic thing and just using that as a vamp and then moving that into different keys before you even start the tune all those sorts of stuff um that excites me like playing a tune in a fresh way every time and you can do that with no conversations when you're solo can't you so you can go anyway also i think playing in church and um really helps because you've got that kind of the, the gospel edge I often go to because I, I love listening to that music and playing that music. Um, but again, that's like often playing the, the same songs um, but wanting to make it feel fresh each time. So um, yeah, maybe that tradition of playing playing in church has helped mm. wanting to keep stuff fresh. I definitely want to ask you about all the gospel stuff because I know that's such a big a big part of what you
1: do. But just before we do that, you mentioned mm. John Taylor several times and obviously he's had a huge influence on you. Mm. If someone... It's like, oh, I don't know any of John Taylor's music. I want to go and check it out. What are kind of your go-to albums or recordings that you think have been yeah. really pivotal for you?
0: Okay, so my my favourite one for a long time was Angel of the Presence, which is with Pallet Danielson and Martin France, trio record. Right. And that's got Inclone on it. That's a great record to kind of get into his trio music. There's a really lovely duo album with Kenny Wheeler um, called Where Do We Go From Here? Or Where Do We Go From Here? I think it's called that. Um, and that's... that's some beautiful interplay with the duo thing. I love how he played duo and uh, like your questions on the solo piano thing, like going to different corners. I purposefully went out there and bought every recording when it was CDs of John playing duo. And there are loads of him playing duo with different people and seeing how his playing develops around different musicians. So sometimes it's duo with like John Sermon on sax or drums, Peter Erskine on the, you know, the Kenny Wheeler large and smaller um, ensemble um, album. There's uh, some duos, which are completely improvised on the second disc of that album. Um, and he, you know, how he supports as just piano and drums compared to piano and sax or piano and trumpet. It is amazing to see how he does it, that. He's got some with a trombonist as well. Um, so yeah, those albums, there's the, um, as it is album, uh, the, the, um, Peter Erskine ECM, uh, album where John's, it feels like it's his trio, but it's actually Peter Erskine's trio. Oh, okay. <laughs> do, do you know that record? It's like, no, I don't uh, know that one. Uh, no, I'm going to check it out though. It's really cool. And, uh, I kind of feel like John's doing a lot of the work on the album as the piano right. player, <laughs> and Peter yeah. Eskin gets to have his title on it. Course, yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a great album. Same so, and oh, there's Amazing. some great. There's some great solo albums as well. One called Phases um, of him just playing solo. Yeah, so
1: cool. Yeah, I'll put yeah. I'll put some links to those in the bio. or we'll do just some kind of playlist. I'll, I'll see what I, see if I can put something together. There'll be something yeah. in the description for everyone to everyone to have a look at. Um, okay, let's talk gospel, because I know that's that's been such a huge part of your life as well. And you can also hear loads of that harmony and those influences coming out in your in your in your solo piano stuff as well. I'd say in like the changes and it's yeah. it's it's really I noticed that from like particularly some of the standards, like you find little gospel changes to put in the standards <laughs> and all these kind of things. So when did that all come about for you, like learning learning that style of music and the harmony that goes with that and all of that?
0: I think so for me, um, it's all been listening, all listening. Right. I, I wasn't, I wish I had been, but I wasn't brought up in the kind of Pentecostal uh, gospel kind of church. My church was much more kind of uh, mainstream, kind of more, much more simple harmony in terms of the music. Um, but what I was listening to was kind of exclusively gospel stuff. Um, I, I was just really hungry to find out what it was. You know, it's like, what is this stuff? I remember my brother playing me quite a lot of stuff um london community gospel choir i remember that's one of my first ever gospel choirs that i was aware of um they're still going now and just like hearing records i remember sitting down as like a 14 year old with a bass and just like trying to transcribe what was going on in the bass parts of these records and then people like israel horton you know these great singers um with great mds and arrangements behind them like just trying to work out what the corners are recognizing a lot of it is stolen from jazz so yeah i, I just I, I listen a lot and then as a result of that now i've been playing a little bit more into that into that genre with people which has just been a, a real dream to play that stuff you know live and just just yeah just feeling like you can it, it feels like you're uh you're really kind of flying when you've got people in the same headspace as you all, all playing that same genre, just like it does in in jazz. But if you've got a bunch of gospel musicians playing gospel, it just feels great. <laughs> so like, I know also
1: with the, with the whole gospel thing and particularly playing that music, you got hugely into synths as well and that yeah. kind of side. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that because I know that's a big part of what you do as well. Yeah. So when did that, how did that all kick off? Do you remember your first synth you got? You, when did
0: you first start getting into sounds? I remember... Yeah, I don't know which was my the first my first synth. So I know my favourite synth, which is the Prophet Six that I'm playing quite a lot yeah, at the moment. I've and seen that in your it's videos. It's really versatile, yeah. so I, I use that loads. I use it as a as a bass synth. To be fair, I, most of my synth stuff ends up being left hand like bass, which yeah. is um I I love that. Kind of trio lineup of it's almost like the Hammond trio, but playing it with synth bass and right. keys in the right hand or Rhodes in the right yeah. hand. I love that. I love that kind of vibe, and I love playing Hammond as well. You know, it's the same. It's the same kind of vibe of having the power and sustain of the of the note. And I think it's. I was listening to a podcast with um, Larry Goldings and Pablo Held recently. Just like, as a as a piano player, we have this like desire to sustain notes because it's the one thing we can't do. <laughs> so yeah. like, when we get onto a synth or a Hammond, it's like yeah. You can, <laughs> we can do, do this that, thing. Yeah. But no, uh, yeah, it used to have, um, used to have like a little Juno G, which I still use as a little bit for like string sounds and it's like pop, pop gigs and things like that. Mm. Um, and then the Nord stages are really great. I've used the Nord stage for years as like a synth, just building sounds up from waveforms. And the, the need for it has really come out of a need rather than a desire. Actually, when I was playing um, quite a lot of pop stuff, right. Of like, this sound you just got to build it and you've got a day to build like a a set worth of material um, of patches you know and it just uh, it it was properly deep end you know i had the stage two still have the stage two actually quite behind in nord (laughs) years but They're like um, iphones aren't they their new new one comes out yeah yeah exactly, <laughs> like, exactly you have to
1: feel like you have to upgrade you're constantly behind even though the one you you you've got probably does everything it's you totally
0: want it's totally fine it's totally fine yeah um no but i'm really happy with that one and i, I yeah just remember thinking right, i've got this gig coming up i've got to patch loads of sounds in i just locked myself away for a day or two and um yeah learn learn the hard way man Of have just like well, what is this waveform oh it's a triangle wave uh, what do I need to do with this? How do I manipulate this sound mm. uh, into the sound that I'm looking for? And just like referencing a track, you know, keep playing one little corner until you've matched it. Mm. Um, and I don't know, something about that feels so different to sitting at the piano. Maybe it's just like it's scratched an itch that I didn't know I had, which is kind of like the a totally different vibe to sitting down and playing creative music is to like building something as close to perfection as possible, which is really different, isn't it? To, to improvising. So yeah, I, I, I kind of, in, I enjoy that again. I enjoy it in balance to everything else. I couldn't be a, a full-time patch builder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's something really great when you find like a synth patch or a bass patch that just feels great. You're like, yeah, I know exactly how I built that and it feels quite unique. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you learn all of that stuff before kind of the YouTube tutorials were really huge on that? Or was it, it was, yeah. it was this kind of before that?
0: Yeah, no, probably. Yeah, probably. I'm old enough to say, so yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I think I would have asked some people like, how do how do I get this sound? But I remember just being taught like early on, right? Just listen out for the fundamental. What's the fundamental difference? Is it square? Is it saw? Is it triangle? And then from there you can build anything, you know? But, yeah. I remember going and spending like three hours trying to build a brass sound or something and then realising that I'd start with the wrong fundamental. I was like, this is so frustrating. I got so close. Uh, I needed to start all the way again on a saw wave rather than a triangle wave. It was like, you know, those lessons. I'll never make that mistake again. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, a lot of it is trial and error and I probably could have done it a lot faster had I had YouTube yeah
1: um, did, did you were you trying to copy were you trying to make sounds that you'd heard on recordings or were you just trying to make your own sound yeah yeah, yeah, just yeah trying Try, to copy the sound trying to, to match stuff
0: trying to match stuff there used to be an app i don't know if it's still around called Centorial. all oh, right um i don't know that and uh it's it's really great it oh i remember it being great it used to play the sound and then it would reveal it would give you the tools in order to make it it was like a software thing so right. it would just play your sound and you've just got the frequency spectrum. You have to match it and then it reveals how close you are to it. And oh, then it goes to the okay. next level and it like will include the resonator. So so it's, it's all like it has, gamified. Yeah, yeah. So it's like resonator yeah. and frequency spectrum. And then it will give you like, um, you know, the, the next like attack or yeah. something like that. And you have to get it as close as possible. So I think that was probably the only bit of actual like learning rather than just on the yeah. job. If that's still out there, people should use that <laughs> it was a great yeah result. no
1: absolutely they should uh yeah i i, I need to check that out i'm uh, i'm more of like a vst kind of synth guy rather than yeah. like on the actual board right I right, think, right right i think there is actually something really special about doing it on a board and it being right in front of you and yeah. all of that kind of stuff rather than it being all in the in in like the computer you know as a vst yeah I think that's- yeah 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 have you got into like the whole VST thing or is it more been just totally on the board?
0: Not at all. Like literally not at all. And It's almost a, a conscious decision just to keep it as alive as possible. Yeah. Um, I remember I did a gig quite recently, which is a pop gig, and I could only take one keyboard with me rather than two. Right. And it was quite a small band. So there are like, no horns, no strings, nothing like that. And I I could see a tune coming up. I was like, oh, no i've got yeah. to program all this stuff so like what on like, the gig yeah oh no way. <laughs> during the gig so programming so i've got like strings at the top octave and like brass coming down below um but it's i could only do that on like i couldn't do it on a with software i have no idea what i'd be doing but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I can i can quickly get around a nord for sure yeah <laughs> but amazing yeah the software thing is it's like a whole Whole other kettle of fish, I think. I saw a um, I saw a clip clip of you
1: playing with Andrew Small in his band. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that whole gig came about?
0: Yeah, so Andrew's and so that's a cool story actually. Andrew and I met through a gospel singer called Geraldine Latty um, when I just come out of uni, and we did one um conference together, and it was really vibing. It was really really lovely. Um, and then we didn't see each other for about 10 years and then right. just bumped into each other on a function. Um, <laughs> and i like, oh man, like we've forgotten about each other. Um, and it just felt so good again. Um, and at that time, Andrew had been recording some albums and wanted to put together a kind of a gigable version of what he was recording rather than with like full brass and um, strings and five keyboard players, you know, yeah. all that kind of gospel stuff with like... <laughs> additional clav three yeah. and there's so yeah. many things going on yeah <laughs> um so yeah um he asked me to play in that which has has been a real really great thing because he's he comes from that kind of pop scene of uh he's got so much um diligence and so much preparation and he really prepares for stuff and he's got great ears he's a brilliant md Um, so playing in his band is like, yeah, you, you, you do have to deploy what, what's, what's needed, but then he'll give you loads of freedom at the same time. Yeah. Um, And Ant Law's uh, an amazing guitarist on, on that gig as well. And he's the same, like you play the lines and then you just like open up in these sections. Um, so his stuff is great. Actually, it's a great balance somewhere between that kind of improvisatory slash you've got to be able to read the dots right um and his voicings are quite specific i like, i want you to play these things here so so um, the, chart, the the actual tracks are all completely charted out very right very much yeah. charted oh, wow, and okay. like beauti- beautifully written charts you know with page turns considered all of that oh, stuff amazing. like you do man like <laughs> your charts like <laughs> like, like yeah. yeah amazing um so that's really fun and that's a lot of that is the gospel kind of tradition as well yeah um and then through him we recently played for an American singer called Selena Albright. So yeah. she just came over and uh, did a Pizza Express gig the other week. And a similar vibe, like really nice charts, great audio references. But, and it feels so good because everyone's just feeling the music in the same way. You know, like the pocket's really deep. Yeah, it's, it's such a, it's a real joy to play that sort of stuff. Really fun. Is that, is that all done on click? Um, it's generally, so sometimes it is. Andrew's band, we had... I mean, he's such a monster drummer. He he, like is the click, mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, the human click. I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think he has two bars of click for every tune. So like the count in and then you just go. Right. Um, which I really like. It's like the safety mechanism. We're all in the same vibe and we're launching in at the same, same pulse. And then there's trust that we're going to stay there. Mm. Um, I, mean, I think it's a really, I don't know, probably a lot of people do that. But it also gives you the flexibility and freedom to like loop solos more and all of that sort of stuff. So.
1: Yeah, without it being so kind of, yeah, if, you, if you're playing to track. Yeah, yeah, like it's like not like a show. Yeah. How do you find playing to click? Like if you're, if you're doing like, if you're doing a gig that is completely on click, if you, is that something that you find easy or was that something you had to learn?
0: Yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah, definitely learn like time and feel are, are probably some of the things that I've spent the most time just like slowly through the years working on. Yeah, I really like playing with click the the only difficulty comes when if the drummer is feeling it differently and you feel like, all right, who am I going with drums or the click, you know, the placement, they're still totally in time, but sometimes they're just pushing ahead or, or they're right on it and you want them to be slightly behind. So just those times I'll turn the click down and listen to the drummer. Right. But now um, it's that dream, isn't it? When you can get the metronome to feel musical yeah um so yeah i think that's often for me like practicing so that the click feels musical and so you make that feel like it's like woo. This is yeah really, exactly. really vibing you know um,
1: i remember I, I haven't done it for a little while but i think i think practicing with a metronome is one of the best things you can do particularly as a piano player if you do lots of solo stuff because i think mm. if you do lots of solo piano and you're not playing with other musicians sometimes i think you can become unaware that you're you're, you're speeding Definitely. up or slowing down i was doing that the other day i was listening back to a uh, It was just a recording of me playing with a choir, um, and it was like this really groovy tune. And I was like, oh man, I'm really actually pushing. I don't know if it was because the choir Mm. was singing back phrasing or something, Mm. but I was like, I'm really, I'm really pushing the tempo. And I was like, God, I need to I need to go back to really actually just playing with our metronome. And I remember when I used to do loads of that stuff, I used to get to a point where the metronome would actually go into your like subconscious. Mm, so yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. like you're playing with the metronome it's yeah, just yeah. it's like you've become equals <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just, like yeah. the metronome's playing with you i know that sounds like a really weird <laughs> yeah, thing but totally. sometimes it can be like you're constantly missing out for it and you're like oh that was you know whereas actually yeah. if the more you do it the more you can try and get it I don't, have you found that
0: kind of totally thing and i do that in teaching i talk about getting the metronome to play along with you yeah and uh, it's like imagining you have control over it um and yeah you have to make it feel musical and and in the pocket and yeah yeah definitely that's that's something that needs to be practiced Uh, some people seem to have this amazing god-given skill that is born with it you know yeah um but no I had to practice it and feel it and yeah uh, when when it locks in it feels amazing doesn't it yeah uh, totally I mean you can do all
1: those things like you can put the metronome on different beats of the bar do you do a lot of that kind of stuff
0: yeah, I did yeah, I do and I did probably do more than I I do now, but um yeah, all, all kind of different placements and things. I tend yeah. to use um for stuff like you're talking about for like that like that choir gig if it doesn't have to be with other musicians, but I'm driving it I use Fourscore, the visible metronome. Do you use right. that? Where I the don't whole know that. edge no. of the screen flashes.
1: So Fourscore for anyone listening is like a is an iPad app where you can actually get charts up on your iPad rather than having paper. So it's a. Um, yeah. I'm always terrified my iPad's gonna something's gonna go <laughs> on my iPad. Do you <laughs> Do know what I mean? mean? Paper, 15. you can't. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and 1500,000 yeah. charts disappear overnight yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly all your little annotations and everything but it is an absolutely amazing app so sorry yeah it's got like a it's got a metronome built in it's
0: got a metronome built in where the edge of the screen like the perimeter of it flashes right. really subtly um and you can link it to an audio metronome as well but it's just a visible and i love that because it's like it's a reference i play quite a lot with the gospel choir just piano yeah. and, and choir and um if it's a song, particularly if it's one that I don't really know, you know, you just had to learn a tune. I'll always use that as yeah. my reference. And then if I've gone out slightly, I can see it um and I can lock back in with the tempo. But you can afford to do that when you're on your own and with choir, because, cool. I, you, you know, as long as you do it subtly. <laughs> yeah. Um but I find that a really helpful thing just to be like, you know, this is the reference for the tempo and it's visible rather than it being like a click in my ear, which I don't want when I'm playing with a choir. I just want a piano and people, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that as that guest get gospel you play with quite a lot? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I love them. I've done stuff with them before. Jules, yeah, amazing. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. lovely. They're such great. lovely
0: people. And the arrangements are amazing, aren't they? Jules like, spends yeah. a lot of time like, getting those arrangements really nailed. And she gives a lot of freedom to the piano player. So it's like all the harmony is 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 dealt with. There's like often someone beatboxing, so you're just like, oh, this is great. I can just yeah. play, play can with play these guys. Yes, um,
1: play. Yeah, just what were you like, say play about? with the drummer. The thing I always found uh, really amazing about doing that gig was that, so the way I'd learn all the material would be I'd listen to the tracks on the Dropbox and like write yeah. out a chart and I'd have I'd have like a chord chart or something that I'd written out with the rough bare bones of it. Mm. But the singers had all learned it off the track with no lyrics, no like- I don't <laughs> no know how like, they do it, man. I don't know how they do that. And I, mean, I mean, maybe if you're learning one song, but they'd be learning like whole sets worth of music and they've just learned like the alto part to a random, a, a, you know, really intricate, you know. I don't it's understand. a completely different approach, I think. It's like I I just love to know how they do that.
0: Well, I was talking to them. I was with them on Saturday, and one of them were like, it was like, how do you remember the chords to this tune? I'm like, how yeah. do you remember the lyrics and the yeah. inner parts? And <laughs> yeah. these like, yeah, chords exactly. are nothing compared to what you're doing. Like, yeah, so intricate.
1: Yeah, um, it's amazing. They you know just off a recording, you know, and trying to ah, it's incredible. So you also play bass, uh, mm. and I think that's I think that's so interesting because I've it's been really cool doing these chats with different people and a lot of people have another sneaky little instrument (laughs) that they they kind of they have up their sleeve as well particularly like another band instrument like drums bass or guitar and i think it really how how was playing bass kind of like helped your piano playing because i remember you saying once actually um that it's so nice to be like right at the back of the band like locking in with the drums You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, a, yeah, yeah. and I was just thinking, God, that is so true about bass, isn't it? It's just one of yeah, those instruments yeah. that you can just really sit back and not be at the front, but be so integral to the music.
0: Totally, I, mean, I can see your bass in the in the corner there oh, as well. Yeah. Like, you're clearly a bass man as well. It needs a new pickup, unfortunately, <laughs> but it's um yeah, <laughs> is it? It's good. I got it off a friend actually.
1: Um, my mate Leo. He uh, it's a it's a Fender Jazz, but um, mm. yeah, I think. Yeah, it's it's one of my projects that I'm working on. I'm not as good as I'd like to be, but I would like mm. I'd like to get I'd like to get even better.
0: Oh, same man. I feel like um, I know too many good bass players. <laughs> yeah. like, I would rather book them. <laughs> <I imagine. laughs> um, but uh, the bass journey I, again. I started playing bass. I borrowed my brother's when I was 15, and then it got stolen on a gig, and then I replaced it with one that I wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I ended up with the bass, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've I've always been fascinated by the kind of the bottom end of of the mix, and maybe it's the kind of the gospel thing as well. But I feel like there's so much more uh, connection between left hand piano and bass than than we realise. So, and I'm talking about like bass lines. If you're teaching walking bass lines, like you don't transcribe pia- piano players playing walking bass lines. Of course, you transcribe bass players. And yeah. When I'm playing gospel stuff, I'm not thinking about what piano players do. I think about what the electric players do. So I spend a lot of time listening to gospel bass players, but then playing the piano afterwards, like wanting to play like them. Um, So people like Sheree Reed and Thaddeus um, Tribbett, like absolutely killing gospel guys.
1: Sheree Reed's um, the guy who's got that... There's that famous video on YouTube, isn't there, <laughs> of just, like, all of these people, like, just sort of, like, looking at him playing, and there's, like, yeah, kids like there watching, and, like, you're like, oh, man, that looks such an amazing place to be.
0: I think it's called Killing It at the Bristol Conference or something, isn't it? Some, nice, something like yeah, that. I've there's, seen that. Oh, uh, yeah, and he's always been that good, you know? And yeah. Actually, that's an amazing video, because because he's MDing it from the bass, and he's underpinning with, like, new harmonies, and he's reharmonizing. I've never... Before watching that video, I'd never seen a bass player control the harmonies. It's always been the piano player. Yeah. And then he's going to like 1Bs and going to tritone substitutions and things like that without communicating. And the whole band goes with him. Right. Okay. Um, that's what I love about the power of how he plays um, and what you can do on bass. Is you can really kind of, you can really push the vibe yeah hard like in a direction like on piano you can do it but you have to kind of communicate it through a whisper mic yeah (laughs) that's the best way of doing it you know oh let's do a little 251 into this chord now whereas (laughs) on bass (laughs) you can just do it and it sounds great it happens people go with you so i think when i'm doing the kind of hammond stuff or the synth bass stuff i'm always thinking about those electric players much more than i am i don't transcribe any synth bass players yeah. Or even really Hammond players. Like it's just listening to what those gospel guys do that yeah. inspires what I I want to play. So then, yeah, I get to play the bass. Like it's like a holiday job for me. I get to play at church. I get to play on the occasional gigs, and it's always it feels so so fun. Of course, you mentioned um, transcribing. That's obviously a big part of
1: big part of what you do. For the people who's listening, can you just explain exactly what that is? Because that's kind of like what we were saying a bit about the get gospel thing, where they're transcribing yeah. by ear. Of the of the
0: recording, how do you approach that? Um, and what, what exactly is transcribing to you? So that's that's a really nice way of putting it because I think transcribing is different to different people, and I've been working through this quite a lot recently. Thinking oh, I don't transcribe that much compared to other people. You know, like you see people like do you know Pablo Held, yeah, the German piano player, and you like he puts up these transcriptions where he's like pe- beautifully pencil drawn these. Deep arrangements of like some Kenny Werner tune or whatever. You're like, oh man, that must've just taken hours to get there. Um, And thinking, oh, I don't do much of that, um, at least anymore. But then in reality, I'm transcribing like several times a week if I'm learning stuff for gigs, um, transcribing harmony, transcribing rhythmic stuff, but not very often do I sit down and transcribe like a McCoy Tyner trio solo. Which is, I th- I feel like there's this unspoken rule that we should all be transcribing the great jazz musicians all of the time. Maybe a transcription mm. a, a week, you know, just to keep on track. For me, it's much more like uh, transcribing what I need to for the next gig. And I'm always listening, always trying to work out stuff. Um, the other week I had like three albums to learn in two weeks. Oh, wow. So I spent like two weeks basically transcribing stuff, but very different to the kind of the typical jazz transcription, which is like note for note, an entire solo, much much more like, uh, yeah, harmonically what's going on, where the rhythmic pushes, all, all those kind of aspects. Yeah. What, what's transcription to you? I'm interested. It's really funny, isn't it? Because like
1: you say, some people think of it as completely writing anything down. And I think some people... Think of transcribing like oh you've got to listen to the music and you've got to work out what's going on. But like you say, you're kind of doing that all the time anyway. Mm. And if you're if you if you've got that kind of mind where you're where you're listening to something and you're like oh what is that chord? You know you go and work it out at the mm. piano and you do it. And that is that is transcribing. I think some pe- sometimes transcribing get banded around as this thing we all must do because otherwise we won't be working out what's going on in yeah. records. But actually, if you're just naturally inquisitive about that stuff, then you'll um then you'll naturally kind of be transcribing anyway. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I, I will say though, like out of everything I've practiced ever, the the transcribing thing has probably been the best, I'd say. That's great. It's been the thing that I've noticed that come out in my playing, whether that's transcribing a groove or transcribing a chord mm. or transcribing. Mm. I just notice it when I play, come out nat- more naturally than anything that's else, really, weirdly.
0: That's really great.
1: Because it's kind of going back into that. You're You're kind of, I think it's, you're associating that phrase or that voicing with a with a sound that you've heard rather than learning it kind of more academically if that yeah, makes sense yeah, like a voicing yeah. it's yeah absolutely. it just comes yeah. comes up now. I don't know if you found that
0: yeah I think so similar to you in in that kind of it's it's rhythms and uh harmonies rather than like entire pieces but then for me sometimes transcription is if I'm driving in the car and I hear this phrase I'm like oh man right. what's that Uh, I can't sit down and write it down and I can't remember where it was in the track, but it's the feeling that I still want to recreate. Um, So I kind of like will aim for that same feeling, even if I don't sit down and and work out note for note what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think transcription as well, its role has probably changed quite a lot, hasn't it? Because before there was even before jazz education was even a thing, like, jazz uh, transcription was all there was that people could only Mm. listen to records or be at gigs um and now we've got so many other methods of of learning this material and learning how to navigate it transcription isn't the only way or sometimes the transcription is done for us and it's actually the playing of the dots you know right um so yeah, I'm. I'm not advocating just downloading other people's transcriptions because obviously there's there's, there's <laughs> so much in there's so much out there. Yeah, isn't there? in in actually doing it, where you it goes in a much deeper level. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember transcribing stuff with a CD player connected to a PC tower. Do you remember the PC towers? Yeah, yeah yeah, 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 of course. Um, and and it and sometimes the PC tower had like the stop, fast forward, and rewind and play button on it, and. Right. I transcribed a whole bunch of it was uh the Miles My Funny Valentine album. I transcribed the Miles' solo on My Funny Valentine with using rewind and pause on the PC oh, <laughs> computer, and you know you you mastered the art of just holding it long enough to to rewind just to where you need to go before it goes right to the beginning of the track. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like, I know man. what you mean yeah. Man, that was painstaking, uh, all those. The- you probably learned so
1: much from it though, didn't you? Oh,
0: massively, massively, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, maybe this stems back to uh, something we were talking about with synths, where creating sounds and thinking about the sound mm. you're making as a piano player. Yeah. How do you think about sound on the piano? Because obviously it's a very different thing. When you're, when you're playing synths, you can actually yeah. completely change the sound that you're operating with. But on the piano, we're somewhat limited in that. Yeah. to a lesser or at least to a lesser extent. So how yeah. what what's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I've I've been thinking um qu- like intentionally thinking a lot more about sound production right. recently on the piano. Um and it actually came out of um so Rob Barron, great piano player. Yeah. Um he came and did a masterclass with my pupils at the school that I teach at. And he was saying this thing that jazz piano players have have the two the two main keys that they have one is their harmonic choice uh that they make and then the second is the, st- the like tone production and sound production and i think that second one often gets missed and you know jazz degrees are like harmony and yeah. that's the main thing that they talk about particularly piano players like we love the stuff of course um but we don't spend that much time on tone production yeah which the classical stream does um I, feel, I don't know if you've read um, Kenny Werner's Effortless Mastery. No, I haven't read that, yeah, that but I've, I've been recommended it a few times. I think I've, I've yeah. So some I was list. recommended that at university, and I think I read it 15 years later. Right. And it was it was fantastic. But he talks a lot about connection with the instrument, um, and I think tone production is really important and helps with communicating like your phrasing, and uh, we just don't talk about it much. We don't give much time to it um and yeah you know, i just want to give more time to that with my pupils and to myself as well than i have done in the past because yeah um quite a lot of that is i've just thought is a given you know having grown up in the classical thinking about like depth of tone and the weight of the hands like all those things that are really important just don't get talked about um as we kind of uh, want a fast track to playing the complicated chords Yeah. Um, Particularly when you're learning jazz. Um, So I feel like that is one thing that as piano players, we can all just learn from the masters in is like the weight of the hands. What I'd like is a model hand for teaching. I don't know if they do this, like a model of an actual hand life size, which is life weight just to give Uh, people like this is how heavy your hands are you know yeah. like, let's drop this on the piano and see what noise that makes because that's that's how you play fortissimo yeah you know, it's not hitting it and it's not you know you get lots of jazz musicians that don't know i say lots they're they're, you know, they're spatterings of people that, that play amazing stuff but they're not thinking about the weighting of how they play and how they phrase yeah. if they realize that they can utilize the weight in their hand um, i learned that from a, a debussy expert um, and it was playing some Debussy at the time, and he was like, "Use the weight in your hands." And suddenly, it just opened up this whole new way of playing pianissimos as well as fortissimos. I think I, I think that's really important. And piano to piano is different as well. So, like spending time on a piano before a gig, um, getting to know it. Yeah, getting to know it, and it's not. I barely ever play the material that I'm about to play. Mm. Like, it's just like playing slow, really quiet chords. Like that's that's the main thing that I, I do when I'm on a new piano, just so I can I can understand how I'm going to approach it with the weighting and tone those those sorts of things. So. I'm always slightly jealous when like um uh people turn up to gigs like if
1: they're a sax player or they're a trumpet player and they're doing the gig on their instrument that they know completely. You know, and it's like it's their completely. friend and it's like, yeah. like whereas we as, <laughs> as as if you're if you're not playing keys and you're playing like just piano and there's a piano at the venue, it's yeah. like oh, you it takes a while to learn that instrument and quite often we have to literally just jump on it and and make it work and you know
0: yeah 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 what do you have any go-to methods like okay you've got you've got to play you're gonna you've only got a two minute sound check what do you do on the on the piano to be honest
1: a lot of that time is it depends what kind of gig you're doing if you're doing like a, a gig where it's all acoustic then yeah i'll spend time getting to know the piano but actually what what i find if you're doing a, a sort of like an amplified gig where where there's a mics and stuff and you've got fold back and like monitors and that kind of mm. thing, I'll actually spend the time getting used to the sound of playing the piano with the, that monitor setup because mm. it can be quite weird having that like the sound of the the louder sound of the piano coming from the side. Yeah. But even that can be yeah, like yeah, yeah. completely disorientating sometimes. Yeah. Like I, we, I, I know you've done loads of gigs at the Six Oh Six and the monitor that. <laughs> Is on the left-hand side, <laughs> it's, on the wrong so it's like side. You're, yeah, you're playing, you're playing the piano, and like everything is already a, the piano is really bright anyway. It's a lovely piano, but it's it's like yeah. a bright piano. So you're getting used to that, and then you've got the sound of it coming from your left, <laughs> and those are the sorts of things that I think <laughs> can really throw you if you're not expecting that. You know, if yeah. the, if you're if you're used to just playing on a piano where the sound comes where you expect yeah. it to come from. Yeah. So yeah, it's um that's actually what I'll probably I'll probably that's do, and all those things do affect the tone as well
0: yeah it could be quite disconcerting i find if it's too loud Mm. Uh, obviously we want to be able to hear ourselves but i find it really disconcerting if if i feel like i can't control the sound because it's just like popping out too loud totally um so yeah Yeah. i'd rather be a little bit too quiet rather than Mm. too loud i think it's a really
1: amazing thing to practice
0: Mm. Mm.
1: so what uh final question phil what um what does the future hold for you? What's uh, where would you? Are there things that you haven't done yet that you think? Oh wow, I would really love to do that. What, what what's your plan for the future?
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm recording with the trio and very excited about yeah producing an album's worth of material that I've written. It's been a long time since I've released something under my own name. I've been playing a lot with other people, which has been amazing. Yeah. But it, it just felt it feels like this is the. A good season for me to be writing and kind of getting some music out there. So that's definitely the next big thing that I'm trying to push. And we are uh, playing that music in as well. So do, do getting as many gigs in with those guys as possible. And then, then outside of that, I've got other kind of little projecty ideas niggling away. It's, it just, It feels like quite a exciting, creative time. Mm. Um, basically, from <clears throat> the last year, I decided... I recognised that I wasn't creating as much music as I wanted to. And I made the decision to put Thursdays aside for writing only. Right. Um, and I was really strict about it. So I wouldn't check emails. I wouldn't go to my phone. And it would be after dropping the kids off at school, I'd go straight to the piano and then right up until pickup time, basically, I would pick them up. So I'd have like Thursday in the daytime at the piano and I just made myself write Sometimes I get nothing at all and be really unproductive. Sometimes I get a tune or two or like bits. And um, having that day, a week, just set aside for writing has been the catalyst in all the stuff that I've written for The Tree I've written on Thursdays. Right. Um, That's what you should call the album. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I just know that I needed to... Um, invest a day a week, and yeah. it, I was going to have to take a financial hit yeah, from yeah, it. Yeah. And I think it was actually that decision to be: I'm going to not make as much money, mm. but I'm going to be more creative. And yeah. that was that was one of the big changes for me. if I right, okay, this is a. its I think this is a. It's not a creative decision. I think it was a financial decision, actually, to to make an album, to to mm. do a project. It was like. Actually, I have to be preparing, prepared to to lose some money, um, or not make as much, uh, in order to make creative things happen. So I am going to try and continue that. Um, doesn't mean I don't say yes to some things on Thursdays. Yeah, <laughs> I am still available on Thursday. Yeah. Um But I uh, I love putting aside a day a week, and sometimes that can be all right, so. C- more recently, that's been time writing. Um, Grants applications and things like that, right, okay, um so it's still so I've gone from the kind of writing stage to then rehearsing and then like grants applications, all that sort of stuff. I try and just make that happen on the Thursday and' putting that time towards the trio, and then once we've recorded, I've got other other stuff like that I want to continue writing for other people as well Great. um. Yeah, there's a there's a Tablet player who I recorded with um, called Arif Dervish. He's amazing. And yeah, I checked some, out some of those videos. Yes, yeah, yeah, cool. he's amazing. And um,
1: yeah. Yeah, we've got some ideas for a project coming up. So. Oh, it sounds super exciting. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on
0: today. Um, where can people go and check out your music? Um, uh, Spotify. Hopefully at some point it'll be out in the new year. Awesome. Um, and... Uh, probably YouTube uh, so I've got some recordings that we did at my brother's studio actually yeah I've just Crown seen Lane. those they're amazing um, big so, shout out to John Merriman yeah doing amazing things yeah it looks great as well what he's done with videos and the sound is fantastic there so yeah, yeah there's uh, got three tracks two yet to come out in the next couple great. of weeks that we recorded there and those are kind of like previews of what we'll be recording on the album as well right um, so that's that's there and then other than that Instagram uh, Instagram and live yeah. I've got a mailing list as well. There we go. Okay, yeah, sign useful. up to Phil's mailing yeah. list. That'll be, that'll be really cool. <laughs>
1: Cheers, Phil. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so
0: much for coming on. See Have a later, great day, man. man. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks so much to Phil for coming on the podcast. Do go and check out all those links in the description and go and hear him play live. A quick reminder, please do get in touch with guest suggestions. That email address again, adam at thekeyscoach.com. Let me know who you would like to be featured in these episodes. Thanks once again for listening. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I'll see you in the next episode.